on, let's give the Lord another shout of praise this morning. Thank you, Brother Michael. What a blessing. Wow. How many were blessed by, uh, by that ministry right now? Praise the Lord. All right. So I know you were uh, trying to look up in your phone. Hey, where did those last few verses come from? And uh, God put those on his heart for this morning to bring those and to share those, that we're to impact the world for Jesus and see the world like he does. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. God be praised. Uh, we continue to pursue the Lord uh, this morning as we focus on, um, again, Missions Sunday. Missions Sunday. Uh, I want to make sure that we don't miss the fact that the very first word in the name of our church is the word mission. Um, and it's not just because it sounds cool or it's just an alternative word for church or chapel or or, or cathedral, or whatever it may be, but the word mission in and of itself holds within it a meaning and a value that essentially demonstrates we are here for a purpose on purpose. That's the definition of a mission, isn't it? The mission, the definition of a mission means that there is work to do, that there is someone who has a plan, and there are those who are part of that plan to carry out the work that is to be done, Right? Uh, we think about that oftentimes in military terms where they'll come together and the question will be, okay, what's the mission? And when you ask that question, essentially the general or commander or whoever's in charge of that particular mission is going to articulate concisely, clearly, and directly what it is that needs to get done. Jesus has communicated the mission over 2,000 years ago, that the mission of the church of Jesus Christ is, as what has been said earlier uh, by Brother Primo and Sister Jackie, the mission is to go and make disciples of all nations. In fact, uh, the word for nations in Greek isn't even nation because it wasn't specifically talking about boundaried areas where individual governments rule. The word for nations there is ethne, which means peoples. So in other words, the, the, the biblical mandate that Jesus gives to his disciples, which include us as the church of Jesus Christ, is to go and make followers and learners of the way of Jesus out of every people that you could find on this planet. That's the commission, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And so uh, we heard a wonderful message for those who were here last week. I was inspired, encouraged, blessed, and reminded of the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, through the ministry of my dad, Pastor Isaac, who came and shared with us a powerful message on uh, the book of Romans that says how beautiful, right, on the mountains are the feet of those who proclaim the good news of Jesus, Right, And then, of course, that passage goes on to say, well, how, how, how are they going to know the good news if they haven't heard it? How are they going to hear it if somebody's not talking about it? How is somebody going to talk about it if they're not sent? So today, we're focusing on that aspect of the Romans passage we read last week, which is sending. Somebody say sending. In fact, as we look at the ministry of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul followed a particular model that the early church began after they were trying to figure out what it meant to follow Jesus when Jesus had ascended into heaven, right? At first they were confused, they were scared, they were nervous that the same fate that Jesus met on the cross was going to be their fate and so they hid from their calling. 
I don't know about you, but every once in a while I think about whether or not some of us are hiding from our calling from God. Oh, man, that's a little too scary. Oh, man, Jesus is asking for a little too much. I think I can give him one hour on Sundays, but that's about it. Don't ask me for anything else on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Jesus, I will give you one hour on Sunday. So do whatever you can in my life in that one hour. How many of us know that when we say yes to Jesus, we say yes to Jesus 24 hours a day, seven days a week? When we say yes to Jesus, it doesn't just mean Sunday morning. It doesn't just mean 10% of our income. It doesn't just mean that, that, that we are saying yes to, to part of the, the mission. But when we say yes to Jesus, what we're saying is, Jesus, you are king. You see, I think sometimes in America, because of our, the influence that we've had as being a very individualistic community and society, is we like to see Jesus as partner, but not so much as king. Let me tell you the difference between partner. The difference between a partner and a king is when I have a partner, we're going to have a conversation with Jesus. What do you think about this? You know, I disagree with you on that one, Jesus. Well, let, let me share with you my idea for this, okay? Okay, can we sign off on this together, Jesus? And Jesus says, I'm sorry, church. I love you with all my heart. I gave myself for you on that cross. But you and I, in this venture, are not partners. I'm king, and you get to be part of my team. Does that make sense? So, so the, the very basis of Christianity in America today starts out on a faulty premise that somehow we're 50-50 partners with Jesus. And what I would say, if that's the case, then nobody in here would care about giving to anybody other than yourself or your family because you're not yet ready to say, Jesus, wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Jesus, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Jesus, whatever you want me to give, I'll give. Jesus, if it takes my whole life, I'll lay it down. Lord, if it takes more time than I'm willing to give, I'm going to give it to you. Why? Because you are king and not me or anybody else. When Jesus is king, everything else falls into place. When Jesus is not king, everything else is chaotic. Right? So today, actually, you might think this is going to be a hard message because we're talking about the kingdom of God. We're talking about missions. We're talking about giving. And we're talking about all these important concepts. But believe it or not, the passage of scripture that I want to read and study and focus on today is a passage of scripture that is going to get you closer. Believe it or not, I'm, I'm not just sharing this to uh, tickle anybody's ears. But if we are to heed the words of the scripture that we are going to study today, you are getting ready for a blessing on your life that you've never even imagined possible that God would do for you right now and in your future. It's a blessing of God that, that you, you, you cannot fathom, that no commercial right now is going to be able to help, that, that can compare to, that nothing on your Amazon wish list will compare to as you get ready for the Christmas season. All right, I know, I know some of you are, are, are already, you know, 90% done with your Christmas shopping already. Others of you are like, man... I'm going to have to wait because i got to wait till the 15th of the month. The passage of scripture I want to focus on today is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. You can go ahead and open your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 
verses 6 through 15. It's quite a long passage, but I believe there's so much good stuff in there that I actually want to read and focus on the, the entire thing this morning, and we'll break it down little by little in some way uh, uh, resembling uh, teaching as well as an opportunity uh, to preach the Word of God this morning. Uh, and before I begin reading 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15, uh, the illustration that comes to my mind, because it's a, a recent experience that I had that caused me to really reflect on God and the things of God and, and what it means for us to be faithful uh, to the Lord, is a, the recent visit that I had a chance to, to go and experience and enjoy with my family up at Lake Tahoe. I don't know, has anybody had a chance to visit Lake Tahoe before? Let me see if anybody else has, we've got a few hands that are raising up. Okay, so it's not too far from Yosemite Valley. Uh, many have probably seen or visited Yosemite Valley. Lake, lake Tahoe is not too far. And it's this beautiful alpine lake, right, that is uh, over, uh, over a mile uh, uh, in the, you know, in elevation, and believe it or not, this lake that's up nestled in between the, the Sierra Nevada mountain range reaches depths of up to 1,650 feet deep. Can you just imagine that? A lake up that high in the mountains that reaches depths of over 1,600 feet. Uh, when we went and took a small boat tour on the lake itself, the, the tour guide said that if you flip the Empire State Building upside down, they would still have room to fit it in the deepest part of Lake Tahoe. Now that's deep. Somebody say deep. And the other interesting fact is that it gets cold there. It snows there, and, and you could see ice in certain parts of the year, and pretty soon it's gonna, the water itself will dip under freezing temperatures. But the other thing that's fascinating about this particular lake that I learned while we were there is that the lake never freezes. Even though it's 29 degrees, it won't freeze. Some of you might be thinking, isn't that physically impossible? to be under 32 degrees Fahrenheit and not freeze. And the only reason why the lake never freezes is because the lake is constantly moving. Meaning there is constantly an influx and flow of snow melt from the Sierra Nevada mountain range that melts and comes down streams and replenishes the lake. And then out of the lake, Flows, uh, flows other small branches of rivers and streams that come out that continue to flow. And so constantly, all throughout the year, there is constantly water or snow melt entering the lake, and there's constantly water in the form of rivers and streams coming out of the lake, which causes this below-freezing-temperature lake to never freeze over. Some of you are like, man, this is way too much environmental science than what I was hoping for on a Sunday morning. But the reason why I'm fascinated by that is because this morning we're going to be talking about missions, we're going to be talking about giving, we're going to, talk, we're going to be talking about sending, and it's important for us to recognize that the reason maybe why the Christian church today is not thriving the way it should is because we've become a stagnant pond of water that hopes to receive but never aims to give. We become a place that says, Lord, I, I, give me these 20 things on my wish list. And the Lord's like, well, I've got my own wish list and you haven't met any of them. 
You haven't told anybody about Jesus. You haven't been giving the way that you should. You haven't been focusing on what it means to worship me as king. And yet you have your, your wish list for me for Christmas. And, and we have to say, Lord Jesus, today on this mission Sunday, I'm going to lay down my wish list and instead focus on what it is that you wish for me to do. Does that make sense today, church? I do believe that when we begin to focus on the output, when we begin to focus on what is God doing through me, what is God doing on the other side, when I begin to focus and say, Lord, whose life is impacted by my faithfulness to you, by my days, by my Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, how is it that the way in which I'm living my life is changing and transforming somebody else's life and changing communities for good to glorify your name? If I begin to ask those questions and my focus is outward, not inward, and my focus is on, God, what are you doing in Mexico? God, what are you doing in Guatemala? Lord, what are you doing in Africa? Lord, what are you doing in Asia? Lord, what are you doing in, in the 1040 window, the least reached uh, uh, place on the planet where people have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? Lord, what are you doing there? And how do you want to use my influence, my gifts, my talent, my time to make a difference so that people can hear the name of Jesus preached? If we begin to think of uh, 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 how we spend our time in light of what's happening out there, then guess what? God will always take care of what's happening in here. But, but we have it reversed. We first start thinking about what is it that I need? What are my needs? How can my needs be met? I need, I need, I need. And I want to tell you something. Yes, we do have needs, but I want to tell you something. When we begin to focus on how God wants to use us to meet the needs of others, the Lord always supplies our need. But when we only focus on what I need, then what, guess what happens at that point? We don't even get it. We become stagnant. Right? Uh, mosquitoes flying around everywhere. Because of this water that hasn't moved at all in a year, five years, ten years. So if you want to be blessed, guess what? Start to bless. If you want to be blessed, start to bless. And we're going to unpack that. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 through 15. When you have it, say amen. It says this. This is Paul. And, and, and we're going to unpack this wonderful passage as Paul writes a letter to the church in Corinth. Everybody knows that when we see 2 Corinthians, it means it's one of the letters that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, right? And he's writing them these very instructive, educational, uh, discipleship-oriented letters to encourage them and to remind them what faithfulness looks like. So he says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound, somebody say abound, in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplied seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way 
so that you can be generous on every occasion. Did everybody hear that? It says you will be enriched in every way. See, oftentimes what happens when we read the scripture is we put a period there. Right? We start messing with the, the, the punctuation of the Bible. Get out our, 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 our marker, put a little period right there. Amen, Lord, I'll be enriched in every way. Thank you, Lord, that I'm enriched in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. Move on. We forgot that there's a so that. Somebody say so that. You see, I believe the Bible is full of so that's. Right? The Bible is full of these things that say, yes, you're going to be blessed. Why? To be a blessing. Yes, you're going to be enriched. Why? So that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Uh, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing. Somebody say overflowing. In many expressions of thanks to God, because of the service by which you have proved yourself, others will praise God for your obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers uh, for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. That's a good, a really good instructive portion of scripture that the Apostle Paul is teaching to the church in Corinth, reminding them of some basic principles of giving. Now I want to, again, rewind for a second to connect us to the missionary model of the early church. It began all the way in Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, when the, the first baby church started to form, Right, This group of people who, uh, who called Jesus Lord and Savior, and they gathered together. Right, They had a very basic church model. It wasn't overcomplicated. It wasn't complex. It was simple. What did they do? They came together every single day, and they broke, they broke bread together, and they fellowshiped. Right? It, it says that they sang songs to the Lord. It says that they studied the scriptures, and they committed themselves to the apostles' teaching. Right? And then the other component of this gathering of believers who were trying to figure out what it meant to live a life that is worthy of the calling of Jesus Christ, the other component of it is they went and they served the poor, the hungry, the orphans, and the widows. Right? I, I want you to be reminded of the Isaiah passage that Jesus actually quoted and read in Luke chapter 4. It comes out of Isaiah 61. Um, this is what the prophet Isaiah says. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. So the prophets have always been instructing the people to go and take care of those who have been forgotten. So the, the early church began with this call to teach the word of God, to worship together, to fellowship with one another, and to go and serve those who have needs. 
right? It started with the widows because in those days, women didn't often have employment, right? They often relied upon the salary and income of their husband. And if their husband passed away, then they were in the category of those who needed to be supported financially. And so the, the early church, this baby church, they would come together, they'd take up an offering, they'd go around town in Jerusalem, and they'd look for those orphans and those widows and the poor and the stranger and the foreigner and the, and the, uh, the, 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 uh, uh, the, the immigrants that were there, and they go around and take a look at they, they, and say, you guys have anything to eat yet today? Not yet? Okay, cool. You guys come over here. Let's bring them something to eat. And they would throw a feast to make sure those who were in need would be taken care of. And that model continued throughout as the, as the early church continued to grow, they went from Jerusalem, then all to the region of Judea, and then it says to the ends of the earth. So the Apostle Paul begins to kind of jump from one center to the other. And so what they would do first is they would locate a new area. They would go there together with some, you know, those who were being sent, some disciples. And the first thing they would do is look for those who had needs, and they would take care of those needs. Why? Because it's really difficult to hear the gospel when your stomach is grumbling too loud. And so they would come and they would, they would meet the need, the physical need of those who were in that particular region. And while they were there, it would open up an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ that even though you were able to meet a physical need on that particular day, there's a deeper spiritual need that we all have. And when folks see that the church of Jesus Christ is committed to loving and seeing and having compassion on the less fortunate, then immediately in that moment, there's an openness to say, what is it that's driving them and compelling them to do these kinds of things on a regular basis and they want to hear what is that mission and we get to share well it starts with this there's a man named Jesus who loves you and he came from heaven to earth to die on the cross for your sin that you no longer need to be spiritual hungry and spiritually hungry anymore but that he is the bread of life So the Apostle Paul followed this model, and he would go to one city, and he would, they would come, and they would look around and see what the needs were. They would meet the needs. They would preach the gospel. They would start a church. And then from that particular church, they would look to another space where the gospel had not been preached. And, and Paul would ask that particular space, who used to be the one that, that had the need and who used to be the ones who, who didn't yet, did not yet have the gospel, and that they would now become the sending platform to go to the next city and then to the next city, and then to the next city. Is everybody following? So what that would often include would be an offering that Paul would take and say, okay, the ministry has come here to Corinth. Now we want to go to Rome. I know there's a lot of people who have needs in Rome. Let's collect an offering from Corinth so that we could take it to another region where there's more need. I love this model of Christian ministry in the New Testament. Why? Because it demonstrates that even those who have a need have the ability to meet a need. Let me say it one more time. It, it, it means that even those who have a need have the ability to meet a need. In fact, there's nothing more dignifying and there's nothing that establishes the pride of being a person and a human than being able to give something to somebody else. Right, I, I remember seeing a documentary uh, not too long ago called Lost Angels. And it was it's studying the homeless uh, crisis that we have in the city of L.A., 
And in this particular documentary, it went in and interviewed and, and went into the lives and stories of, of some of our, our brothers and sisters who live uh, lives of, of homelessness out on the streets. And in, even as they do a deep dive into the stories of these individuals, it was beautiful for me to see that even folks who didn't have very much always took it upon themselves to help somebody who had even less than them. Maybe they got two old uh, pairs of shoes with holes in them, but somebody else didn't have any, so they'd give away their, one of their holes with, uh, shoes with holes in them to somebody who didn't have any. So it, it really baffles me when we uh, uh, come to this point of thinking about giving where we say, oh, I don't think I have enough to give just yet. You know, when I get this raise or this new job that I applied for, then I'll have enough to give. I'll tell you what, you have enough to give right now. You have enough to give right now. Amen? Um, so let's, let's break down this passage because there's a lot of good stuff in here, okay? Uh, I'm going to go through a few points. Let's see, I'll go through my four points. Uh, the first point is give generously, willingly, and cheerfully. The second point is blessings follow the cheerful giver. The third point is give to good works and gifts to the poor. And the fourth is compassionate works open the door for sharing the gospel. Amen? So point number one, give generously, willingly, and cheerfully. So as we think about what it means to give generously, the reason why we are called to give generously is because we are called to imitate God our Father who always gives generously. He didn't have to create the universe, but out of nothing, he said, let there be. And all of a sudden, things started to form, right? He could have made flowers all gray, but instead he gave us red and purple and pink and blue and yellow and orange and every color that we can imagine and some that even we can't imagine, God provided for us. Why? Because he's a generous God. He didn't have to create us, but he created us anyway. Why? Because he's a generous God. Right? When, when some of us in here were on the brink of death and he saved us from death through healing. Why? Because he's a generous God. When we were lost in our sin because of our condition that we're born into as the human race, he sent Jesus. Why? Because he's a generous God. Somebody say amen. How many believe we serve a generous God? So if God is generous, then we ought to imitate the generosity of God and his character by being generous as well. Amen? I love that about being a father, right? What I get to be as a father, not a perfect dad, I'm not a perfect dad, but what I get to be is, God willing, an example to my kids so that when they get older, they have some models that they can attach to and say, hey, my dad got it right here, he got it wrong here, but the one thing that he did is he pointed me to another heavenly father who is perfect and very generous, right? Generosity goes a long way today. In fact, people today ex uh, don't expect generosity. I think maybe it was different in a, in, a, in, a, in a time past where there was an expectation that you would help one another out. There's an expectation now that you would just be cold and leave people hanging out to dry. Unfortunately, right? COVID hasn't helped that because it's taught us how to not see each other even more. 
Right? It's caused us to just focus on ourselves and not be worried about others. And in fact, uh, uh, I find myself as a very extroverted person, somebody who likes to interact with others, finding myself that, that uh, being in a pickle because things that I would like to typically do in the world are now seen as like a, 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 an offensive gesture. All right? Why are you walking toward me, man? You're not supposed to. Six feet, bro, six feet. Right? Like, well, I was just trying to help you out, man. You dropped something on the floor. Relax. It's okay, man. I come in peace. I got, my, got two masks on, okay? Relax. I'm not going to handshake you. I'll just give you an elbow bump, okay? Relax. Right? This, there's this setting now that causes us to be even more separated from others. I remember being in the grocery store uh, not too long ago at Ralph's, and I was checking in, uh, checking out. And, and as I was checking out, I remember being just right in front. And, you know, I've been taught by my parents and my grandparents and my church and my, my Royal Ranger teachers and my youth leaders, right, to, to take care of other people, right? And that's not just something that just happens. It's something that it gets taught. Does that make sense? And more, more so than something that gets taught, it's something that is contagious. So that, in other words, if you want to raise kids who are generous, well, then guess what? Make sure they see you being generous, right? Uh, if they see you being stingy, guess what they're going to become? Very stingy, right? They're going to model what they see us do, okay? And so I remember being at the store, and there was a, a woman behind me, and she was unloading her, her items onto the conveyor belt right after I put mine up and made sure I put my little demarcation just in case we don't start confusing items, right? Um, and, and, then, uh, and then she said something that, that caught my spiritual attention, right, um, to the cashier. As I was checking out, um, the cashier was starting to look at the items there and said, okay, is this everything for you, miss? And she says, yeah, but go ahead and ring these items up for so I could see how much it is. And if, there's, if I still have enough, then I want to get these other three things as well. And so, of course, you know what we do at Mission Ebenezer, right? I say, you, you mind if I take a look at those? What do, you, what do you have? Okay, let me tell you. Here, put these on mine, please, right? And the lady's like, no, you don't have to do that, right? And I'm like, you're right. I don't have to, but I want to, right? Why? Well, A, that's just what we should do. That, that, honestly, that shouldn't even be a, a, a demarcation of a Christian. That should just be what good people do. Okay? But we, as the body of Christ, have an opportunity in this broken world where people expect the, the opposite of generosity to model what it means to show love, compassion, and generosity because that's who our God is. So Christians ought to be the most generous in the world. Right? Our philanthropy ought to be the highest. Amen? So the first one is to give generously, uh, Paul tells. And then he also says to give willingly. What does it mean to give willingly? Okay, to give willingly means to give with intention and purpose. To give with intention and purpose. Not accidentally. You see, in that particular moment, right, I kind of gave accidentally. I wasn't planning to buy some groceries for the person behind me, but it happened accidentally because she just so happened to be in need, and I just so happened to maybe have a little bit extra to be able to cover what she needed, which was a great uh, moment for accidental generosity. But Paul's calling us to be purposefully generous. Does that make sense? And the reason why I share this is because our model and thinking oftentimes is, okay, well, these are my needs. These are my wants. After I take care of my needs and my wants and those of my family, whatever is left, let's see what I could do with that. 
oftentimes in the world that we live in, we don't have any left because we get ourselves into debt. So we have no room to even think about how we could be generous because we already spent more than what we had. So if my model of thinking is my needs, my wants, and then anything else extra, let's see what I could do with it. If that's our thinking, A, we're probably not going to give to that because we're in debt. B, we're probably not going to give to that because our needs and our wants take up the entire spectrum of the resources that we have. But if I'm giving willingly or intentionally and with purpose, then I start the year or I start the month saying, I'm giving $10,000 to this particular cause, period. Everything else has got to figure itself its, its way around it. Does that make sense? I'm going to give $1,000 to missions this year. Nothing's getting in the way of that. Whatever else I decide to do, however many times I visit McDonald's, however many Starbucks I buy, however many times I go to the movies, however many vacations I take, all of that stuff has to fit within this framework of what I've already committed to and saying that $1,000 belongs to going to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. Nothing's getting in the way of that. So to give willingly, right, means to make sure that giving and generosity is part of the plan, not uh, what I can do with the excess after I've taken into consideration all my needs and wants. Does that make sense? It's a mindset shift. Rather than thinking, let's see what I have left and I'll do something good with it, we're thinking, this is, what I'm gonna, this is why I exist, this is why God blessed me with this good job is so that I could do these things and I'm going to make sure I do that well. And if I have a little bit extra to go buy a pair of nice shoes that I want, great. But that's not going to drive the reason why I exist. The problem is in the country that we live in, we're driven by consumerism, right? We're driven by the, the want and need and thought to have and to take and to have more. I love it. Uh, I was having a good conversation with my son Joseph yesterday. He's nine years old. He is entrepreneurial, um, and, and he has ideas, more ideas than, than nine-year-olds should have. Um, and, and so we began to talk, and, and so his idea yesterday, Dad, okay, so we have this treehouse that we built, right? And so that's their little clubhouse space and all that. He goes, Dad, I want to start a club. Okay, tell me more about this, Joseph. What's the club you want to start? Well, I want to get my friends together. I got to call Judah, my cousin. He's like his advisor, right? He always, he, Joseph, he's a sounding board for Joseph's ideas, right? So Judah's like the chairman of the board. Um, and Joseph's like, okay, I want to, I want to invite, um, I want to invite August and Salem and Luke and Lincoln. And I, I, I want to start this club, dad. Okay. What's the club going to do? Um, we want to save the planet. I'm like, all right, cool. How are we going to do that? We got to recycle dad. Okay, all right, so we're going to recycle. What else are we going to do? We've got to think of better ways to, to reuse things um, because we're wasting too many. Okay, Joseph, I like it. So he goes, so, Dad, do you think you can get me a whiteboard for my clubhouse? He already has a laser pointer. I'm not kidding. He bought himself. He saved up money from his birthday, and he, he ordered on Amazon a laser pointer because he wants to run a club. And so we brainstormed names, and yesterday the first, you know, iteration of the club is the Lakewood Youth Sustainability Club, right? So it's called LISC, all right? So he's got a club name, he's got, the, you know, a charter, and I told him we have to work on a mission statement. Uh, and what I loved about it, though, was I started to give him little subtle challenges, right? I said, so why does your club exist? Right? And he starts saying, oh, well, you know, so that we could recycle. I'm like, well, why is it important to recycle? I just keep asking why and why and why, right, in this process until finally I say, what if you guys recycled, you turn in, you get money, and from that money, what if you sponsored kids in the world who are hungry through Convoy of Hope and their Feed One program? 
right? What if, what if you, five from our neighborhood, could feed five kids for a year by your sustainability club? Joseph goes, I love it, Dad. Let's do it. So if you see Joseph coming to you with a, a bag asking for cans and bottles, it's because he's driven by a purpose. Does that make sense? So he, so, but here's, it's hilarious. I love the way he thinks. Nine-year-olds are awesome. He goes, so dad, the first thing we're going to do is whenever somebody joins my club, they have to drink a Dr. Pepper. <laughs> so he's going to be like raising a lot of interest because all these kids are going to be like, I get to drink soda if I join this club and it's for a good cause. They're like, I'm in, Right. I share all that simply to say, well, A, because it's a funny story. B, because it illustrates really cool gospel truth. C, because it reminds us that our lives need to be on purpose, not accidental, right? We don't just need to like kind of bump into good works or good deeds or compassion or giving. It needs to be factored into the very essence and fabric of why we exist, right? I'm going to work overtime. Why? So that I can bless someone through the missions program that, the, that, the, uh, uh, that Jackie and Brother Primo are leading. That we want to sponsor a ministry because they need chairs in Guatemala. And I want my overtime to pay for those chairs. Man, you're going to work that overtime so differently, right? You're going to work that thinking, man, I'm doing this for the Lord. I said yes to that extra day because I want that to go to a good cause, not so that we could pad, our, pad our, our pockets and buy more things that are just going to get more rust and more dust and going to be donated a year later because it's outdated and we need something better and newer and shinier. Our lives need to be on purpose. Somebody say amen. So Paul says give generously, give willingly, right? Do we understand the why of our giving or is it just because a pastor said you should? If that's the case, you're not going to give the way God wants you to give. If you give because it's, oh, it's a good thing to give. Well, that's great, but that still isn't a good enough reason to give. We give because we believe that what we're giving to is changing the world for Jesus Christ. And when people know Jesus Christ, everything changes. Amen? The third thing is, so it says give generously, give willingly, and give Cheerfully. Cheerfully. What does that mean? That, that means when you give your $100, right? You don't start thinking about the thing you just saw on the flash deal that was $99.99 and wishing that you would have held on to that $100 because you could have got that one additional thing that you don't yet have. And if you had it, it was going to make you happy, right? Everything else in life, like if you just had that one item, you're going to be happy because that's the way that we buy things, isn't it? We, we buy things because we feel like it's going to make us a little bit happy. If we're a little bit depressed, what do we do? We buy things. Why? So we can feel better about it. We get the item. We try it on. It doesn't even fit that well. It sits in the closet. We just wasted $100. As opposed to saying, Lord, when I sow a seed of $100 into your kingdom, I believe that I'm investing in the best company in the world. And the return on investment is incomparable. And the dividends that come back to me and my family are amazing. Right. I looked up just uh, the other day, just just to kind of just for fun. I looked up some of these things, and uh, currently AT and T is listed as one of the top nine yielding stocks 
generating a dividend of over 8% currently annually. So in other words, if you bought, I'm not telling you how to buy your stocks. Okay, I think that's a little bit illegal or something. I don't know. Uh, but if you do make good on it, then make sure you give to the Lord. Don't give to me, give to the Lord. But AT&T is currently listed as top nine. And what that means is if you had stock in AT&T right now, whatever you invest, you're getting back 8% of what you invested. That's like reverse tithing. Some of you are like, that's way too many numbers at nine o'clock in the morning, Pastor Koba. I haven't even had my second cup of coffee. What I'm saying is this, okay? Think about tithing. You have an income. We take 10% of income. We give that to the Lord because that's what belongs to God. Somebody say it belongs to God. Right? So in other words, there's always going to be that 10% that we can count on that, uh, that the Lord allowed me to make in my job that I'm going to give to the Lord. A dividend in this particular situation means that essentially whatever you were to invest in, 8% of that according to AT&T is coming back into your bank account. As I was thinking about that, I was like, man, there is no greater cause to invest in than the cause of Jesus Christ. It's the greatest investment any of us could ever make, right? Why? Because it, it is investing in things that are eternal, not things that are temporary. It's investing in things that will last forever. When we invest in gospel causes and in gospel purposes, generations are impacted. Eternity is impacted. And the returns are amazing. It says, God will bless you abundantly, having all that you need when you give generously. Amen? So that you could continue the cycle of good, good gifts. Right? Remember the so that part of that passage? In other words, when we give generously and we're giving to the Lord and when we're taking care of the needs of others, you can guarantee that all of your needs, God's going to meet them. Right? And it's, okay, here, I'm going to just throw this out there. It's not when we give a one-time gift, okay? It's when there is a cycle of continuous generosity that God blesses you and your family with a cycle of continuous and abundant gifts. Amen? I want you to think about it this way, okay? We're talking about God's business, aren't we? So God's the owner, okay? Each of us individually are franchisees. Right? God has given us the ability to kind of be his ambassador and representative of God's company, and we're living. See, what happens if you're the owner and you take a look at all of your different stores and branches and locations, and then you do a, uh, you crunch the numbers, you look at profit and loss statements, and then you begin to see, man, this store is doing really well. This one over here is struggling. What do you do as the owner? You say, you know what? I am going to close that store. I'm going to move all the workers over here to this store. I'm going to make that store bigger, and I'm going to invest more in that store. In other words, if you become a fruitful branch, if you become a family who is generous and giving, guess what? The Lord says, more resources your way. Let's expand that, that location, right? Why? Because God sees that you're being faithful. Does that make sense? The opposite is also true. When we're not faithful, the Lord says, well, why am I going to invest resources in that struggling business over there? We need to close them down. Does that make sense? So we need to think according to the way God is, is looking at us to be able to say, Lord, I am going to be faithful with all that you've given me. The third point that I listed here is that we are to give to good works and gifts to the poor. The material poor and the spiritual poor. The material poor and the spiritual poor. You see, there are some 
folks in the world that only focus on one of those two things that I just listed. Some focus on only the spiritual poor, and they just want to show up and preach the gospel. And what I would say is it's really hard to hear the gospel when your stomach is grumbling too loudly. Right? Uh, I remember uh, listening to a story that my mom's cousin shared uh, who uh, founded an organization called Convoy of Hope, which is the, one of the missions organizations that the Assemblies of God sponsors, that we sponsor regularly. Uh, and he's, he was a journalist, right, uh, at the time. He was a Christian, but he wasn't really, you know, really thinking about uh, fully committing all aspects of his life to the Lord at that point. He just wanted to write good stories, and he happened to be hired by a Christian magazine, and they flew him to India, and he interviewed Mother Teresa. And he sat down with Mother Teresa, and before he could start asking her questions for the article that he was going to work on writing about her life, she just asked him point blank by staring at him, young man, what is it that you are doing for the poor today? And he responded to her and said, you know, not much. I'm not doing much. You know what he did when he came back to the States? He quit his journalism job and he founded this organization called Convoy of Hope so that the poor in the world could be fed and they could hear the gospel. That point blank question that he received from Mother Teresa caused him to think about what his life really meant. And he ultimately decided, yes, I love journalism, but what I love more is wanting to see the gospel impacting lives and impacting the world. And so he committed his life to that very purpose and uh mother Teresa also is known for saying if you can't feed 100 then just feed one right some of us are like i don't know where to begin where do i start what do i do start with one amen better than doing nothing isn't it so we look at this relationship between the material poor and the spiritual poor and there are some organizations that are really focused on the material aspect of things. They want to feed. They want to, they want to do good works. But if it's not stemming from the heart of Jesus, I want to tell you this. It's not going to be long before that system or organization or country or people that they're trying to fix is just going to continue to be in that particular situation. But we, when we recognize that the only one who's able to truly uh, 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 rescue, the only one who's able to truly break the bonds of 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 generational poverty is Jesus himself. When we recognize that inviting Jesus into these situations is not only going to provide a meal for a day, but it's going to be able to provide for us both material and spiritual blessing, then we see God using the church in beautiful ways. But too often we kind of split these things apart as opposed to bringing them together and seeing that God wants to work through us in both ways. The last point is that God is calling us to do compassionate work so that there's an open door for the sharing of the gospel. To do compassionate work so there's an open door for sharing of the gospel. You see, when the world, when, when those who are lost, when those who don't know Jesus see the church living the way the church needs to live, there is an open ear to hear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The opposite is also true. When those who don't know Jesus see the church and the only thing they see is all the stuff that's on the news, all the things they hear about those church people who just judge and walk around thinking that they're better than everybody else, right? The, the recent news story that I saw that came out that they found $600,000 of cash and checks in the walls of Lakewood Church, Joel Osteen's church. And I don't I personally think it was him himself, but what I do see is that whenever news like that hits the media and people say, oh, that's, 
that's it. I knew it. That's what the church is all about. They're just all about, you know, storing up money, taking care of themselves, thinking about themselves. They don't care about anybody. And the problem is we have gotten to a point where our reputation has caused us to not have credibility in the gospel, in the society that we have to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. So what do we do about that? Do we go and argue people and tell them why they should be ready and willing to listen to the message that we have? No. The way that we combat that is we live in such a way that causes them to say, I didn't think Christians were like that. You know, when I, when I help out the lady with three items on her grocery list, afterward I say, hey, God bless you. Hope everything's all right. Right? Or yesterday when I'm walking by the mall and there's a young teenage girl with her two friends sitting there crying her eyes out and me and Joseph stopped by to talk to her for a moment and to pray with her, right? Her two friends, afterward we walked away, they said, you guys are special. And we said, well, we're, we're special because we have a God who's special. That it's time for us as the church of Jesus Christ to stand up and step up and live in such a way that opens people's ears to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. How does that happen? When they see you and I living in such a way that models the character of Jesus. When they see that we are loving, compassionate, generous, needs-oriented, sacrificial, and others-oriented. When the world sees those things, they want to hear what's driving the way that we live. When the world sees selfishness, when the world sees, ah, they just show up and do their thing on Sunday and then go about the rest of their week, well then guess what? They're not interested in hearing about your Jesus. But when they see that we're living like Isaiah 61 and Luke chapter 4, there are open ears to hear that there is someone named Jesus who is able to save. Amen? That there is someone named Jesus who not only uh, is the physical bread of life, but is the spiritual bread of life. That as we think about giving, as we think about giving unto the Lord, let's be mindful of these instructions that Paul gives. He says to give generously, willingly, and cheerfully. To give generously, willingly, and cheerfully. Why? Because when we give generously, we reflect the character of God. When we give willingly, we live our lives on purpose and not by accident. And when we give cheerfully, we're excited about the work that God's going to do through the gifts that we give. Man, when we drop $20 in, in the youth service Sunday program, we say, Lord, thank you for those 20 bucks and those few pizzas that it's going to buy so that a few bellies could be filled so that some young people can hear about Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for that $100 that you're going to use to fill up the gas tank of a missionary to drive to a village to share about how much God loves them. Lord, bless this $1,000 to support this missionary so that they don't have to split their time working a secular job and a ministry job, but they could focus at 8 o'clock in the morning on a Monday praying and thinking about how you want to use them for your glory. Lord, would you bless that gift and would you multiply it and would, 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 would this world be changed by the light of Jesus Christ? See, when we give generously, willingly, and cheerfully, right, then, then we're contributing to this system where God says, oh man, that is a flowing uh, river 
I am going to continue to, to drop my snow on the peaks and valleys right next to that lake so that that lake will always be replenished and have depths of water so that it can overflow into all these rivers and lakes and streams so that the dry areas could be nourished through their lives. God wants to bless you and your families to overflow your, 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 your ability to contain God's blessings and gifts on your life, but it only happens when we say, Lord, here I am, use me. I want to live my life on purpose, with a purpose, so that your name is glorified in all that I say and do. This is what we're called to, church. This is what drives us. This is what would uh, uh, cause us to be, as uh, Primo mentioned earlier today, a church that cares a lot about missions. Why? Because we believe at the depth of our heart that when we focus on the work that God is doing outside of here, God always takes care of what he wants to do inside of here. And the cycle continues, so on and so forth. Amen? I'm going to invite you to stand. If Let's thank the Lord for the message that the Lord brought through my brother, Reverend Dr. Koba Canales. In your bulletin, you may have found a special envelope today that has our missional focus to restore, equip, and send. And behind it is a little, a little card for a faith promise of how you'd like to support missions. Whether you're giving a one-time gift today or you'd like to give every month over the course of the next 12 months throughout 2022. If you could mark that on the card right there, that way we know how to thank you. Take a picture of that card so you have a reminder of the promise that you're making in your heart to support what your church has committed to do and then some. Every month we send $4,000 throughout the world in missions. It's about $48,000. And every year when we have our missions festival, we barely scratch the surface of what we do. Your church is already a giving church. And we want to continue to increase our budget and our resources that we can send to support causes that are greater than you and I alone. Today we have the, the great responsibility, as Pastor Koba said, an opportunity to make a difference. If you have your contribution, your offering, right there in your hand, would you just please hold it up? Maybe you didn't fill out a check yet. Maybe you didn't send it through our PushPay app. Maybe you haven't even given it yet. And you have time between now and the end of the year or throughout the year. But I pray that you would make a commitment in your heart because we need commitments. We need to make a decision of what we're going to do. And by faith, when we speak it and when we declare it, God will make sure that we can accomplish it. Church, let's pray. And let's ask God to multiply our gift. Let's ask God to multiply what we are doing to change this world for the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we close in prayer, please come and give joyfully unto the Lord. 
and you are you would be dismissed as you do that until the next time we gather together in his name father god we come before you today lord and we declare and we thank you father god that that we have riches lord jesus that we have resources that we have the ability father god to give above and beyond lord jesus that you are such a lavish god a good god a generous god and so lord we follow your example lord and we join you lord jesus in the great work lord lord god of making disciples of all people groups throughout the world both here father god in carson in los angeles in california in the united states of america and around the globe father we thank you that that we are an obedient church and father god we take it seriously this call to give we pray this in jesus name and the people of god said amen may god bless you may god keep you may he expand the storehouses of your lives and your family in jesus name amen